the philosopher Dallas Willard says we are driven by one of two things. And when we're driven by fear, oftentimes we find ourselves more alone and isolated than when we're driven by love. We're moving towards something that allows us to believe that the things that we have that are true in us are right. In order for us to connect with somebody, there has to be an openness and a little bit of vulnerability that says, you know, I trust you enough to kind of show my myself to you and be honest with you and and be open. Hello and welcome to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. 50 Cups of Coffee is an idea that began with a TEDx talk in 2016 and has become a pillar of employee engagement at organizations, a tool for developing young professionals, a simple yet powerful practice for connecting a team, and of course, a podcast. This podcast is a show where I have coffee and conversation with some of the best leaders in the world, and we talk about leadership, team culture, and the power of connection. If you are a regular listener of the show, you are aware that it has been some time since I have recorded a new episode. The reason being is I have experienced a major shift in my work, and these next couple episodes that I'm dropping is a reflection of that. In October of last year, I joined the TLC family of camps as a co-director at Timberlake West Camp in the Catskill Mountains of New York. I still live in the Baltimore, D.C. area during the year. I just now spend my summer months at camp in upstate New York. On my next episode that I will drop, I will share more information about this new role and more about what Timberlake West is all about. If you're curious now, I have two resources for you. You can certainly go ahead and check us out at TimberlakeWest.com. And you can go back and listen to episode 28 of this show when I had coffee with Dave Skolnick, the COO of the TLC family of camps and the co-founder of FAST, Fitness and Athletic Skills Training for Kids. I still speak and train on a very limited basis. If this is your first time listening, I help teams and organizations build winning cultures. As a trainer, I've had the privilege of working with some of the best athletic programs in the world. As a keynote speaker, I have given two TEDx talks and I've spoken on stages in 36 states and counting at national conferences, Fortune 500 companies, and to Team USA. My mission as a speaker, trainer, podcast host, and now as a camp director is working to create a world in which people feel connected wherever they are. To learn how we can serve you or your team, head on over to bobbyaudley.com. Now on to today's show. Allow me to introduce my two guests today who are so good I had to break an almost two-year hiatus from podcasting to bring their wisdom to you. Today, I have coffee and conversation with Dave Brown and John Hamilton. Dave Brown grew up as a camper at Mountain Camp, a co-ed sleepaway summer camp located near Lake Tahoe. Growing up at camp, Dave went on to work at camp as a counselor in training, known in camping as a CIT, a junior counselor, and then a cabin counselor. After camp, Dave went on to become a licensed clinical social worker and rejoined Mountain Camp as a year-round director. When not at camp, Dave offers training and consultation for youth-serving organizations such as camps, schools, and nonprofits through his company, Fence Post Learning. Over the past 20 years, Dave has worked directly with children and families in a variety of roles and settings. As a therapist, counselor, camp director, and trainer, Dave has worked in treatment centers, schools, nonprofits, and summer camps. 
John Hamilton is a leader in the camp out of school time and youth development fields. John currently serves as Chief Strategy Officer for the Alliance for Camp Health, whose mission is working toward healthier camp communities. John has a deep understanding of mental, emotional, and social health needs known as MESH, the needs of youth, and a hope-filled perspective for our youth. We talk about this on today's episode, this idea of a hope-filled perspective for youth. MESH is exactly what I wanted to talk about today with Dave and John. John has a master's in leadership and cultural justice, has been named the American Camp Association subject matter expert on MESH and trauma-informed care at camp, and is a former executive director of Camp Alta. This next line I grabbed word for word off of the ACH website because it's brilliant and should get you excited for this conversation. With perspective from hands-on experience overseeing 50 plus programs around the country, being on site at an average of 10 different camps per summer and consulting organizations, John's voice will help restore belief in the future of our work and guide us to discover ways to create healthier summer learning communities. That right there is why this conversation for me was so much fun. I believe so very needed and valuable. Many of you who are regular listeners are coaches and camp directors. Those of you from non-youth serving worlds, I know many of you are parents and maybe coaches for those kids as well. When I say I sit down with leaders and we talk about culture and connection, in my opinion, there is no better leader than a parent, no better culture than a family, and no one better to connect with than a kid. It's been a long time coming for a new episode. I am excited and grateful that I get to share this conversation with you. Please enjoy my cup of coffee with Dave Brown and John Hamilton. I think I think there's a, a huge piece of that when, when we're talking about an exchange when it comes from a a shared lived experience, mm. right? Like when we're in person with somebody mm. and we're exchanging aspects of a story at a level, um, you know, it's it's like being like, okay, we know we were in this space and place at this time, right? Like so, Dave, I think like I, I can go back to your backyard where we sat around the table, right? Like and how that's formed an aspect of our relationship or where we had burritos together in Walnut Creek, right? Like these, these moments where yes, in, in exchange of food, but also like we've had other experience in other, in, in other spaces. But I think that that's to, to, to your point, Bobby, like, I think that's, that's one of the unique parts about like a, a summer program, right. Is yeah. like the, 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 the routine, the regimen that kids go through from a school standpoint. Now, all of a sudden they're having a different type of, connection around like this adventure and this play in a space that is like home away from home and it that's that's where it becomes so powerful um because now you're holding on to those memories in a different way than you are to just being in a class with a with a classmate you know so i i I would say uh to, to the role that I sit in now as the um, chief strategy and engagement officer for the Alliance for Camp Health, uh, an organization that is really the leading voice in, in providing uh, healthy spaces and places for the summer learning community. Um, uh, it's, it's an opportunity where I feel 
I'm really honored uh, to be representing an organization that's generating resources, but really trying to help move all towards like every single participant in the camp community towards being well um, and towards like finding a way in which uh, the community can be one that's focused on well-being because the individuals are are well. And so uh, my, my, my lived experience to get to this seat has been one that has come from um, I think being a practitioner as as an executive director, um, leading uh, a, 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 a camp and retreat center in Northern California near Lake Tahoe. So uh, a similar connection to my my friend uh, Dave, who will be sharing uh, as well. But I think my my career really started out uh, in video production in San Francisco and Facebook and Twitter and kind of Silicon Valley was was taking off and found myself in coffee shops in and around the city. Um, recording and putting videos together. And then I started to travel around the country and different parts of the world to kind of see that, but really had this, this like hankering to get back to the core of who I was. And that was to breathe life into other people when they would get away to outside spaces and places to play. Uh, and so, yeah, getting into youth development and leadership to become a camp director and what that journey has been has just given me the opportunity to, uh, to, to continue to do that, um, to be alongside young people being informed by their voice and their perspective. And I think trying to walk with enough humility to say, how can this inform the daily practices of my life? How, do, how can this continue to leave me with my hands open instead of like sh held shut? Uh, so uh, I spent the last five years before I just transitioned into this role with the Alliance for Camp Health as uh, the the national director uh, overseeing uh, the largest out of school time learning program for kids impacted by domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. So adversity in their lived experience, and recognizing that uh, that adversity in the lived experience is now something that we can all like collectively um, say that we've we've kind of been you know shoulder to shoulder or wrapped arms and arms um, with each other in saying like how do we get through. Uh, this time that's really complex and how do we continue to move forward and toward the things that are going to contribute to us being well and others being well. So, yeah. yeah. And John, you said something that stuck out to me that when you said getting back to the core of who you are and you had a line, do you know what that is? It sounded like you had it. Yeah. To, yeah. To, to, to breathing life into others. To breathe life in others. How did you figure that out? I know that's probably a very long answer and I want to get to no. Dave, but I think I don't want to go past that. Like, how did you get to, that's a beautiful kind of way to share your core and even knowing you just looking you up, researching you, being introduced to you by a mutual friend and then talking to you once it, that that's spot on for me. So obviously you're living that. So how did you figure that out? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it was through the support of, of a mentor who I asked to kind of speak into some blind spots in my life um, and to affirm the areas where there seemed to be some strengths. And uh, years ago, uh, as I was trying to figure out whether to, to stay the course in the ad agency production world, um, that mentor kind of offered a, offered a word and just said, like, I think that you are somebody who encourages others well, but like there's a different level and degree to what that is. And uh and so I think when someone is able to offer something to you and you realize that that's something that you can offer to others, uh, you have a choice. You have a choice to say, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this regardless of whether it means that I 
may gain something um, or not, I'm going to continue to stay the course in doing this. And so I think that that's where um, people often would get away to a camp space, to a summer summer learning space, to to nature um, at a retreat center. And and I, I had no desire to make it about what it was that they would get in the midst of that time away. Uh, I think it was more a matter of how do I encourage, how do I breathe life so that they can return into their neighborhood, to their community, uh, to their workplace and, and or school and do something more with what they've gotten in this time away. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the, you said you had a kind of point of, do I stay the course with what I'm doing or, or not? And I find a lot of, a lot of folks I talk with in my work, that's where they they use the word stuck a lot, right? You have this stuck feeling of, I, I feel like there's something more, something different I could be doing, but I maybe there's a fear, maybe there's an uncertainty. And, and also there's like a sunk cost of, well, if I just stay the course of what I'm doing, will I get where I want to go from a career standpoint, from a lifestyle? And I don't want to lose all of that. But, um, and maybe we'll, that, that does tie into kind of some of our, my conversations about, the camp world and youth. So we'll, we'll get back to that because I want to make sure we give uh, Dave space and time to share Dave, share your journey, who you are and, and how you, how you got to where you are now. Sure. Thanks. Um, so I am a camp director with um, an independent co-ed residential camp in California called mountain camp. Um, and I um, run fence post learning, which is an online um, staff training resource for working with kids. Um, and, uh, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So I do have a small private practice that I do kind of telehealth therapy out of my house, but it's, it's quite small and, um, and has been getting a little bit smaller these last couple of years with, with the increase of, of work for fence post learning. But, um, Um, I mean, my journey really kind of goes all the way back to my childhood when I went to the camp that I work at now, I was a camper there and it was really the place I think for me that I felt most myself. And it was, I kind of had an experience that I think a lot of kids do at a great summer camp, which is that they go there and they feel like they have a freedom to be themselves. Like they feel kind of accepted and, um, and that they have more to contribute, maybe, maybe like they belong better in that space than they do in other spaces um, and can kind of more fully be themselves. And so that was awesome. I just kept going. And then I was, I kind of went up through the ranks, right? I did, they had a counselor and leadership training program and junior counselor and counselor. And that's really where I kind of first worked with kids and realized how rewarding that work was. Um and uh, yeah, and so then after college, that was kind of the first thing I was kind of in that space of like, what do I do? I, I don't, I had a liberal arts degree. I was like, I could kind of go anywhere, do anything. And I'd actually had this experience. I, I remember this as John was talking about his mentor. I had an experience in college where I had a class that had a fieldwork component and I was working in an alternative ed classroom with a maybe a group of 10 kids who had been you know, kind of kicked out of the public schools for various reasons. And this was, you know, they had a social worker in addition to a teacher. And I would go to this, this class for an hour to a week for the semester. And that social worker, I remember at the end, pulled me aside and said, you know, have you ever considered social work? And I kind of said, no. And she said, well, we need more people and you're good at this. So you should think about it. And 
And I, that was, I mean, that was really one of the first times that anybody had ever looked me in the eye and been like, you're good at this. You should do it. And that for me was like the, the, the sentences, the two sentences that caused me to be like, okay, now that I need a job and I graduated, I'm going to go work with kids. And so um, I found a job at a residential treatment center in San Francisco and kids who lived there and went to school there, um, who had all been diagnosed with emotional disturbance of some sort and did that work for a number of years before going back and getting a social work degree, um, focusing on children and families and school social work. And again, it was a mentor there who said, you should consider school social work because he thought that it was this great place to to, to find kids who needed support because, you know, most kids are, are going to public school. Um, and uh, did that for a number of years. Um, but then I had my summers free because I was working in public schools. And so I actually found my way back to the camp world in the summers just to kind of fill out um, the year. And after going back and forth for three years, I, I, landed at mountain camp again with a full-time year-round camp director job and that was 2010 so i've been there since since 2010 and um and i i really struggled with that transition because i had just spent all this time and energy in the social work field and um and one of the things they talk about in social work is how people burn out and leave and and that it's this tough thing and i was like i'm fulfilling that prophecy and i i felt a lot of guilt around that and um, but I was just so happy at camp, um, when I was there and I felt, um, kind of, yeah, I just loved it. And so I said, you know, this, this feels right. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And then once I did it, I found that really the social work training and education was so applicable at summer camp in this way that I did not really predict, but made a lot of sense when I, once I was there, um, and the population at mountain camp is not the same population that I was serving when I was doing social work. And yet it's one of those things where so much of the basis of social work is working with people and supporting people's, you know, basic needs and development. And that is totally applicable at every camp. Um, and so, uh, that's, that's kind of how I landed here. One thing you both touched on, and this came up in, in doing my own kind of internet research of you, is when you talk about camp, the the words belonging, uh, being yourself, safety, uh, those are those are words that consistently come up for both of you. And I want, if you can, I'm springing this question on you. I didn't prep you with it. Of how do you define camp? Because there's it's a it's a big umbrella term. Right. There's there's sports camps that are very from the outside looking in skill specific. There's week long sleepaway camps that some parents consider a tremendous amount of time. There's four week sleepaway camps like mine that parents consider a short amount of time. And and so it's there's cultural differences. There's socioeconomic geographic differences for understanding of camp, whereas, you know, we're taking it across the entire country and a whole industry. And I think the safety, the belonging, the sense, all of that independence, you can, we can make an argument you learn at each different iteration of camp, but how do you each define this, this idea of camp? What is camp? I think that ultimately we're, we're talking about Bobby, like this, this experience. I mean, it can be in a day, in a day setting too, where you step out of the normal reality of the patterns of life 
and you have a learning experience that provides an opportunity for you to grow from play, from art, from nature, from social connection, uh, and to move forward in life with that new reality and a sense that changes how you're going to interact and engage with the world around you. And, and I think that there's, there's, there's a, a way that we have to figure out at this point in time, how does that play from an in-school time learning experience to an after-school, out-of-school time learning experience to this summer learning experience that that's a part of, if we're going to acknowledge the continuum of care from a medical provider aspect, like why are we not looking at that continuum of learning development and seeing how there's other metrics that we could be evaluating to, to see how we can help succeed. So I, I look at camp not as a not as a word and saying, hey, it represents a tent or it represents something that has to be outside or as, as, a, as a young person who went to soccer camps and boys and girls club camps and to an overnight sleepaway camp and to a family camp. Like, I mean, I did all of those pieces. And now as I sit in it, it's like all of those were moments outside of the normal routine of day in and day out living that allowed me a different path to figure out how I could participate in the world differently um, across all spectrums. That was, that was awesome, John. I, I think that's so true. That's so that's yeah. And there's something about the separation from the other kind of settings or experiences or routines of your life that I think allow those opportunities to kind of be more impactful than they might be if that was what you were doing every day. Um, and I think one of the, one of the other things that is at pretty much every camp experience that tends to have a huge impact is, is the people, is the mentors. And you've got this experience. And part of that is you've got people in these places who are there with the goal of taking care of you, and helping you basically become like to grow. I mean, we just say like, they're there to help you grow. Um, and, and there's kind of, I guess there's, it just seems like there's something that's special that happens when everybody in this space, like their agenda is let's help everybody be the best version of themselves and kind of go from there. Uh, and I, I, I think, I just think it's rare. There just aren't very many settings in the life of children where that is the goal and everybody's kind of there for that reason. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with, with how both of you have kind of captured that idea. And for me, it speaks very closely to my experience and why I'm in camp. I mean, I didn't, I now I'm a director of a sleepaway camp where kids are up in the Catskills for four weeks in a cabin. And I didn't even know that existed as a kid. Like I didn't go to that as a kid. I was grew up in Syracuse, New York. It wasn't, I didn't know anyone that went to sleepaway camp like this. If I did, it was like a week in the Adirondacks or maybe the Catskills. And, and so my experience with camp was going to lacrosse basketball, soccer camps, and they'd be a week long overnight, same kind of thing, or maybe a day camp. And I can tell you why I, got into camp as a professional in a lot of different iterations, be it a day long retreat or sleep boy camp or sports camp was because of what you've said. I don't remember anything specifically I was taught as a kid. I do and can speak to 
what these environments did for me and my growth and my development and my confidence and learning how to make friends, all those things. And so it speaks to, to my relationship with camp. It leads me to my too big of a question. Like if I had, if I, if anyone ever asked me for like advice on how to interview, I'd say, don't ask a question like this, but I'm going to ask it, (laughs) which is, uh, so with that being said, like why I really want to talk to you guys, like now that we got a sense of who we are is this show is speaking to those mentors, right? Each of you have talked about how mentors have impacted you. The people listening for the most part are the mentors, people that are impacting youth as teachers, coaches, camp professionals, and parents. That is that is who this is for. And so my too big of a question that I know you can answer is, is how do these folks create these environments? Because I know personally, a lot of the people that I know are listening to this episode who are very well-intentioned and doing their best and focusing, I would say, more on the hard skills of whatever they teach versus the stuff that we've talked about for the first 15, 20 minutes here. So how do we create spaces to to, to do this best? I, I think the foundation has to be, everything has to be in the best interest of the child. And there's a lot of other stuff I think that goes on top of that. But like, if you're not starting with that idea of like what I do and say needs to be in the best interest of, of the the kid or the youth, then, um, then that could be potentially problematic. Right. And so, um, that's where we start and that. And, and that's like safety, you know, I think it's, it's the physical and emotional safety of the kids and, Um, What do you mean by safety? What does safety look like for a kid? That's a great question, Bobby, because I think that that's really good because I think that when people hear safety or it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, right? Especially like these days when, when terms like safe space kind of immediately cause people to jump to like one camp or another of like, oh, I know what that means. And that that's a, you know, that's a flag that something else is going on or that you're coming with some agenda. Like, it's safety is about perceived safety, right? Does the child feel like they are potentially threatened in this, in a situation? And that doesn't mean that the adult perceives that the child is safe. It means does the child perceive that they're safe and that, you know, can be, that's really based a lot on their experience, uh, their like lived experience as it is on, the the place that they're at not to like dive too down into this but i think this is an important thing to touch on so it's it's do they perceive that they are safe which i love how do we if i'm a coach or director how do i know that if the kid feels they're safe i i think i think there's a there's a there's a piece to like the initial question that folks that are are proceeding in quality programming uh look beyond the hard skills, right? I think Bobby, like you're talking about being on a sports team. Um, I'm thinking of people that are, you know, maybe at a, maybe at an art or a music camp, like using air quotes, right? Um, And those, those hard skills can be developed, but I think what Dave is getting at is more of a, you know, in in terms of the safety, it's a, are are kids seen and heard for who they are more than what they do, Mm. right? Like, are they seen for who they are more than what they do and what they produce and how they do it. Because when we participate in these, these, these 
types of program quality. There's an interdependence. We have to conspire. How do we breathe together, live together, eat together? Like how do we operate together? And in some of that, we've got to redefine what that looks like. And so when we're working with a young person today in 2023, as a dad to four girls, like for me, I know that day in and day out, that has to look differently than it did for me when I was their age, right? The same way that a, a coach interacting with me, yes, there's certain pieces and parameters that are like, yeah, this form of engagement is going to matter. There needs to be, yeah, some level or degree of accountability to what it is that we're doing. But like, how do we agree upon that? And how do we make sure that we're giving space to hear the voice of each other, right? Versus predominantly just usurping power over and saying, hey, I'm a coach, I'm a camp director, you need to listen and kind of fall in this order. Well, like as we're defining our stories and saying that there's not been like one clear line that's gotten all of us to this point where we're having this type of a conversation in this, in this moment, like it's not been a clear line that's gotten us here. So why are we looking to create a clear line that's just like, I'm going to tell you where and how this needs to go versus we're going to provide some guidance and some guardrails. And then interdependently, we're going to conspire together in, in creating and cultivating something like as Dave's talking about where safety is is felt because a child just is seen and heard for who they are more than what they do. Mm-hmm. To, to just riff, I guess, on that a little bit, like when John's saying like kind of felt like seen and heard, it's this, I think that safety is created by adults when kids like kind of perceive that the adult really cares about them as an individual and their experience and what they're going through. And so, you know, when you're like, well, what does that look like? It's, it's, you know, it's like, how do you um, just let a kid know that like, you know, I'm here to support you and I'm checking in with you and you're, and I think a lot of it just has to do with kind of the quality of the interaction between the adult and, and the youth in terms of kind of conveying, like, I'm here to support you and take care of you. I think, I think some of that like is to the essence of what Dave is talking about. It seems like it requires some like big profound moment, but it's really actually sitting a little bit longer than feels comfortable to allow space and time to unfold, right? So for for someone to sit in a moment and say, hey, like what we're going to go do next might not be the thing we have to press into right now. It might just be like, I I think about like, like a moment at soccer camp, Dave, as you were talking about that for me growing up as a kid where like a coach stopped and was just like juggling in a moment where we were kind of like on a break and like it birthed into some like beautiful conversation that was really meaningful and poignant right so bobby to your point of like what sticks out you know most from from what you remember about that isn't like everything that you learned and took away it was probably just the the shared connection with other people that were allowing kind of some of these moments just to percolate instead of being so focused on like what is it that we're going to get in return like I, I, like out of a return on the investment right um and i think that's a challenge for for some parents that like like, like that I'm, I'm calling friends, right? Like where the return on the investment is if I'm going to, if I'm going to spend a certain amount of money, like I better see this come back out. Right. Um, versus gosh, I just want my, my kid to continue to form and be well. Right. And that may not look like they're going to go where I think they need to go. Um, but it's, it's kind of opening our hands up again. Right. Um, and some of that. So. Yeah. Well, I think too, you know, we say things like, 
you know, the, the, the mentor, the coach, it comes down to caring about that kid. And it's easy to think, well, okay, sure. Yeah. I, I care about the kid. And I know I, you, we have to check ourselves a lot of times in terms of what are we as the adults in the room actually trying to get out of that experience, right? So if, if we put together programming for camp, you know, to your point, John, we'll put together some really intentional programming. And then the favorite part of the day for the kid is lunch or, or free play. And, and even on a totally different spectrum, I, so I coach for a um, last couple of seasons, I've coached for a private school lacrosse team in Washington, DC near where I live. And uh, I literally just started coaching with this team in the last two seasons. And last year they happened to be the the number one team in the country. I say happen to be, because I don't want to take any credit for it. Like I just, I'll take credit for getting on the staff, but the, the, the team has had a great group of coaches for 10 years now that brought them to this point. And we played on, you know, ESPN for high school national championship. And the kids are all kids, the high school students, right? They're nervous about it. And, and uh, I looked at one of the assistant coaches who's been there since the beginning. And, and I was kind of acknowledging like just to him of like, I'm pretty excited. Like as an adult, like this is cool. How, like, how do you think the guys are doing? And, and he, his answer was perfect. I don't remember what it was word for word, but it was very much our job today is to make sure they have fun. We've prepared them all season. We have given them the tools. They've gotten here. Sure, we coach, but they've gotten here. And he's like, remember when you were their age, like you would probably get overwhelmed, nervous, kind of all, especially now with social media in terms of their friends knowing they're on TV and all this stuff. And it's like, our job is just to make sure they relax and they have fun because I never got to do this at their age. And it's, I really hope they have a good time. And I was so taken back and, and in my own head, recognizing I hadn't even thought of that yet. And, and so I share that little vulnerability, but also just, just to kind of acknowledge how easy it is to not focus on caring for the kids. Right. I think we're, 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 we're not thinking about it correctly. If it's like, okay, great. Yeah. Care for the kids. Of course I do that. Then what? It's like, no, I think we have to constantly remind ourselves. It's not about that game. It's not about what color war activity we come up with. Are we genuinely and intentionally caring for the kids that are, that are in our care? Yeah. And I think Bobby, I, I think one of the things that adults who are working with kids can do to increase the quality of their work is to be more attuned to their own feelings and emotions. Because often when we like are spending all this time being like, well, what's the goal? What are we doing here? Like, what are we accomplishing? Sometimes that's kind of avoiding the basic vulnerability of like, can you sit in emotions that are difficult to feel um, and when we don't like relationships, like having genuine, authentic relationships with people can be uncomfortable a lot of the time because you're having to be vulnerable and attentive to emotions that aren't always easy to feel. And so it's really easy to be like, well, if this kid is struggling a little bit, maybe I, I want to help him. But really what I want him to do is just feel better as soon as possible so that we can get back to like the goal of you know, getting better at this skill, um, you know, and uh, sometimes I think that that is what takes us away from like being a little more present and helpful um, with the kids that we're working with. That's right, Dave, because I think like it's it's a matter of like recognizing 
from a little bit of an of an inward or an, an internal like retrospective like understanding of our of ourselves it's a we operate best in our exchange with somebody else when we are in a state of health for for us right so like i think that when we are processing how we're engaging with somebody else if we have goals and expectations that we're trying to meet and that impacts some of our stress that impacts some of our emotions or feelings as we enter into a situation like if there's an outcome bobby to see your team win that game because there's a competitive nature in you and then it's easier to say right it's it's like this like this mindset of we, we talk about like orthodoxy versus orthopraxy like right thinking versus right doing and i think we need to figure out how do we usher into uh the word that you used dave was vulnerability into the into a an, into an environment where we can say more more openly more honestly against a stigma it's okay to admit that i might not get this right right uh and and the right thinking versus the right doing mindset is a uh, something that's been ingrained into us societally as like a do what i say not what i do that's just not like that that's not that's not that's not an equation or a formula that makes sense for us today right like we actually have to say like let's do what we do as what we say and let's like, enter into this together and it requires some vulnerability to say like i actually might not be in the like healthiest space myself and if I can't be more in tune with that, then that's going to prohibit the experience that I get to help create for somebody else. And that's something that I'm responsible for. So when we when we sense ourselves, I think Dave and I, in this work, when we get to go in and talk to other leaders and summer learning experiences, uh, the, the detriment is if we we go into that space and say, hey, like, you've got to have it all figured out. Um, but if, if you're going to deflect some of the potential challenges you're seeing just onto somebody else... And you're not going to take on some of that yourself, then then that might be where there's a need to start, right? Like you might want to start with like, where am I at? Like, is there some way to? Now, it's not saying like it all rests on on us as a facilitator. I, I think like bear with me in that. Like, I think I think it's it's getting to the point of if we can if we can look at I think more of the work that we put into place is like creating a, an infrastructure or a, a a framework in this environment where we're considering everybody as a participant and not just those that we're creating an experience for, right? Because we're all a part of the potential for what may contribute to the, the, the being well versus not being well. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we, we hold responsibility in that. And let me ask you this, as we are, I'd say 15 minutes into this really good conversation about wellness and caring for kids. And, and as John's now saying to the whole environment of, of people that are there, right. As D Dave, you said, like the, the coach, the mentor uh, being well themselves. I talk to folks regularly who've been in the business of working and supporting kids for a long time. Maybe they're in their fifties, sixties, or seventies who are overwhelmed by this conversation. And so my question to you is like, have, it seems like a stupid question maybe, but like, have kids changed? Like, has the world changed? Has it always been this way? And I'm not as, I guess I'm not as interested in the yes or no answer to that. It's more of talking about, okay, so, you know, why, why is this so important that we structure these 
kid environments in this way when there's plenty of folks who've been doing this for decades that weren't as intentional about this? I would I would I would lean on um, two experiences that I've had in the last couple of weeks, and I think that this is where and how I would encourage everybody. Like the more time that we can spend with young people, listening to what they're saying um, instead of trying to tell them what they need to hear, um, we can find ourselves in a much better spot. I think in in just how we're understanding each other relationally from generation to generation, uh, and so I. I think about like I was just with a young young guy Diego who I work with um and somehow like our time and our relationship started in San Diego, California and now we're up in you know the northeast in New England together and and uh he's at a boarding school in high school and uh and and Diego said to me recently Bobby Dave like uh John I think I think you know when somebody believes in you life can just be a lot easier and and I think that I was with a group of high school students at a district in New Hampshire, speaking to them. And I asked everybody in the room, there were multiple sessions from freshman to sophomore, junior, senior classes. And in each one, uh, as I was getting ready to speak to parents later that night, I said, do you believe that adults think that your future is brighter than the past? Connected to this like mindset around the science of hope. Do you believe that the future can be brighter than the past? And the young people in the room would unequivocally like some i mean some of them would raise their hand like there was this like mixed number but when i said do adults believe that your future can be brighter than the past if if yes raise your hand and not a not a hand went went up like for young people to be sitting in a spot where they're feeling anxious and they're feeling hopelessness or they're feeling sad when they don't have somebody that's necessarily in their life saying i believe in you or i believe that your future is bright versus i believe that it's dark when, when young people are left with this mindset that like the world is going to hell in a handbasket, then what's the point for them to continue to try and proceed, right? So I think like we have an ownership and a responsibility to say, how do we believe in like participating with them in creating that brighter future instead of just placing it upon them to have to figure out some of the problems that we've participated in creating in the world that we're living in? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's there's no doubt that the world looks really different today than it did when we were kids. Um, and I think we have to recognize that and see it for what it is. And at the same time, I think you can also make a great argument that like the basic things that kids these days need in order to be well and to have hope and look to the future are probably not different from what they needed back then, even though the world looks different, right? They, what you need is, you know, is safety and connection and people who believe in you. And um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I just hear that. I hear that theme coming back again, though, that idea of like somebody who believes in you, who cares about you, that caring connected relationship is like for so many people, the thing that allows them to be resilient. Um, and uh, it's really important. And I, and I think also just like when, when you talk to people who are like, this is overwhelming, I think it's okay to sit in that for a little bit too and be like, yeah, it is. And that doesn't mean that you should be able to just have the answer to this. 
uh, or that everything's broken either. Like it, it's overwhelming. And what can we do about it? How can we make things better? And, and, you know, in my experience through camp, often the way to make things better is through quality relationships with people. Mm-hmm. That's, I say jump in if you want, but for me, that's a brilliant, I'm always kind of <laughs> pivoting to the next step. And so you both have brought up this, this concept of connection. And so for me, obviously, I mean, that is, that's where this podcast came out of. And my personal mission is creating a world in which people feel connected wherever they are. Well, the funny part is when I started this podcast, uh, it started with a, a TEDx talk and people would very quickly take it to the, what am I getting out of it space and the networking space and whatever it was. And I like part of the podcast was trying to share the idea of like, that's not at all what this is about. Could a cool professional connection come out of this? Sure. But that's not what it's about. And, and so I was doing a little internet research and John, you had a a TikTok with the ACA where they said to you, um, I think it was like, you know, what is your best lesson you learned from camp? And your line was that I am not alone. Uh, and, and so that, that spoke to me in terms of this connection piece. I'd like to go there with this conversation of how do people, we don't have to keep it focused on camp, but just how do individuals create more spaces? And, and it probably is maybe saying a lot of what we've already said, which is okay that people understand that in terms of listening to kids and caring for them and making them feel heard. But how do we create more spaces for kids to not feel alone, to feel connected and how do we best teach maybe is the right or wrong word but teach kids this concept of connection you know at camp one of our missions is to help kids build relationships and friendships i think parents read that and think great and not appreciate like that's a big promise that we're going to teach kids how to build friendships and relationships i'd love to know from both of you kind of how you teach it because i know you know you both teach adults to work with kids, how are we teaching best to create those connections in those spaces? Uh, I'll jump in here because it was kind of the same thing that I said before, which is that it starts with that safety, right? Which is like, in order for us to connect with somebody, there has to be an openness and a little bit of vulnerability that says, you know, I trust you enough to kind of show my, myself to you and be honest with you and, and be open and we can't do that if we don't feel safe, because if we don't feel safe, then we're going to be guarded. I think Brene Brown says, you know, we have our armor where it's like, if I feel like being honest with you about who I am means that potentially you're going to use that against me, right? That's going to come as some kind of emotional verbal threat. Um, it's, you know, there, there could be something socially amongst this group of people that I then get attacked or excluded then I'm going to be really protective and careful. Um, But when the environment around me creates this space where I trust that the other people have my best interest at heart and that I can see that they're doing their best to understand my experience and they actually care, they want to know, not just that they're asking to know, but that they actually want to know who I am and what I'm about, then boom, all of a sudden I can open and I can say, okay, here I am. And I can create that space for you. And then here you are. And now we're having this authentic connection where we really kind of see each other. Um, 
And I think the best part about that is that then like the actual, what actually happens back and forth is really simple. It's just like questions. It's just like, tell me about yourself. What do you like? What are you into? What makes you tick? And then we're just going to find, this is what I say. You either, you have two options The with that answer. You either find common things or somebody else is an expert in something that you want to learn about. And you're like, I don't know anything about that. Tell me about lacrosse. Like, why do you, why does lacrosse light you up, Bobby? Right. And if you, if lacrosse lights you up, then like, and you're feeling open and safe with me, then you're going to like, give me all of, all of that. And I get to learn and, and then we'll probably find commonalities through that. Right. Like, well, I don't play lacrosse, but I love this other sport that has a similarity with that. And that's so cool. And, and now we're connecting. Yeah. John, before you jump in, Dave, you started that answer by saying, I'll say what I said before. And then you said something brilliant that you haven't said before. That's a book. What you just said is a book that was brilliant. Uh, and even like, I'm going to like, I want to like go back through when I edit to to pull that out for, for bullet points. That was, that was really awesome in terms of just how people can create those spaces. So he, uh, he teed you up, John, what, what do you got? What do you got with that? Yeah, <laughs> Dave, I love, I love, I love the way in which you're talking about like commonality right like finding where that that line um can come into play from an interchange standpoint because it comes back to i think something that we've talked about before and that's like the shared lived experience in some capacity um and so i think you know build, building building upon that from from my perspective around what you know the alliance for camp health's focus on primarily um comes into play with with regards to like as as individuals um are we are we recognizing the role that we have in modeling connection, right? So we are individuals. We are creatures who mimic the behaviors that we see around us. That's why people say to be the best, surround yourself with the best. Well, like in the midst of that, sometimes we're not in a spot where we have control over what we're surrounding ourselves with, right? And if we're consuming things that continue to come out in different forms of of media, the medium that we're, you know, like re- receiving the the information that's coming to us leaves us with nervous systems that are potentially flooded or with an ability to process something else. So do we believe that the world around us is filled with wrong and right or right and wrong? Is it about black and white, left or right? Or is it about like, are we in this space and place where I can look into the eyes of another and say, like, I see what is good. I see what is true. I see what is beautiful with you. And let's focus on our commonality, right? Dave, let's focus on that link of interest together and build from that instead of focusing on the label or the the thing that defines us to, to proceed with. I think so often what happens is camp is this space and place when you're away, right, where that common interest, people are there in some capacity together, but they're operating more so out of love than out of fear. Like the philosopher Dallas Willard says, we are driven by one of two things. And when we're driven by fear, oftentimes we find ourselves more alone and isolated than when we're driven by love, we're moving towards something that allows us to believe that the things that we have that are true in us are right. And so like, I just look at that for for, for, for my daughters, when I approach a situation with them, when I am right, I approach a situation with them in a much better light. And then I'm able to see and discover and, and, and highlight for them where and how they're proceeding in a, in a way that I believe to be good, true and beautiful in that and want to, to have them offer that to another, 
versus if I just constantly harp on them for where there's something wrong, guess what they're going to model in and around the world? They're going to continue to be more cynical. They're going to continue to become more filled with apathy or despair because they're not going to think there's there's a way forward. What's the point? Why try, right? So um, I, I just think that that commonality, Dave, that you're talking about, like where is this point of interest is something that we have to focus on in terms of what's right with each other instead of like resting in this wrong line of that's a problem there and that's a problem there or gosh, that doesn't look like it's enough or this doesn't, no, because that that's informing how we're all thinking in our heads, what it is that we're manifesting in terms of actions and behaviors out. So this sparked a uh, a question for me that I'll ask each of you. I, I, I did these podcasts, you know, even throughout 2020 and 2021 and, and it always was focused. So I, I always want these episodes to be evergreen, right? Like, I don't even know when this is going to drop and I want it to last forever. I don't want it to be timely, but that became impossible during, during 2020, because the conversation was always uh, rightfully so focused on what was happening in, in today. And you mentioned something earlier that, you know, John, when you said you asked the room, uh, are the adults in your life, I'm paraphrasing, uh, are the adults in your life, you know, do they see, I'll say, you know, a brighter future for you and, and the kids didn't put their hands up. You're two adults. Uh, Dave, do you have kids? I do. Yeah. You both have kids. Two boys, six and nine. Two boys, four girls. Um, my question for you is, are you optimistic about the future and, and why or why not? Um, I, I am optimistic. I'm scared too. Like I, I want to, I, I want to like recognize that, that I, I, there are a lot of things, um, about the world that, that make me nervous. Um, but the reason I'm optimistic, I think is it's actually through this work. I mean, this work that we, that we do that makes me optimistic, which is that like, I think that the reason that I love working with kids is, is because of the potential. I see it as like this kids are, if you can help kids become um, as good as they can be, then that's the way that the world gets to be a better place. Because typically when people are not well, it's often due to experiences in their lives that happened when they were young that are related to like the way that I don't know that I don't know what how to say this to, to relationships or people or experiences that weren't good. Um, and when we can break those cycles and help people become resilient and become well and then raise well kids, that's how like things get better in general. Um, and so, you know, through through working with kids and and trying to figure out the best places and the best techniques and tools to help everybody really help kids develop as healthy and and positive as they can i think that makes me optimistic yeah uh i think i i mean bobby and david like i i think we're it's, it's, it's easier to be in a spot where it feels like we're in the game than sitting on the sidelines participating in what the future is going to look like. And so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a, a belief that comes from just a, like Dave, like I, I, I really value the, the honesty and the vulnerability around like, this is a, yeah, it's, it's, it's scary. 
Um, and there's, there's, there's truth to that. Uh, I, I think that for me, I come back to this, this question that I've, I've processed with, 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 with my daughters. And then like, I've subsequently been able to see with kids who, um, at times, I mean, if we, if we look at just people of influence where so many folks want to be a person of influence, like what gets that person there isn't necessarily, uh, just the thing that they've accomplished. It's, it's a part of how they've, it's part of how they've accomplished it. And, and, and I, I think the question that I often ask, like my, my daughters is like, are you defined by the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Um, and I think if each of us were to look at the worst thing that's happened to us in our lives, and, and so many folks would say that, you know, looking back, that could come from some like monumental thing, like when you were Bobby sitting in a space and place and time, where it was hard to talk about anything but COVID, like, that's, that's not nearly as significant as the challenge that we're up against with a, like a, a mental health crisis across the world globally, right? And, and I don't believe that that is going to be the thing that that defines us. I think that that's actually going to be a part of what recreates um, how we proceed. Uh, and so I I see it as an as an opportunity to participate in that, and that would be my encouragement, my 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 my, my cry, my call to to others that would be listening in is to say like just go show up, whether it's you have your own child or somebody else that you can lean into. Like when I'm sitting with Diego and he's like, gosh, like I feel like life is a lot easier when someone believes in you. I'm like, gosh, like thank you for believing in me and I believe in you. And gosh, now there's 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 another reason to proceed. So like those are the exchanges that like when when we're processing things, it's it's not that there isn't hard stuff. It's recognizing like in the midst of the hard stuff, we're not alone. And the more that we can see and feel that, I mean, the better off I believe that we will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll I'll echo. I think my optimism comes from, you know, to your point of we we're defined by how we recreate ourselves and our world moving forward here. And my optimism comes from that reality that we're now having these conversations. I work with youth, and I'll always say they are they are so wise and aware and mature to these things that I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about as a kid, let alone my parents weren't thinking about as kids. And that, that can be heavy for them. I think that's also part of the the mental health uh, focus that we have to have right now because they're processing so much more than, than many of us did, not everybody. Um, and, uh, and, but, but the processing, the working through, if we create these environments for them to grow and connect and not be alone, that is the the optimistic future. And even the fact that, you know, I not to make it all about this podcast, but I did this podcast since 20, I think 2020 January is when I launched it. And uh, uh, it was even then, I, I have always had this belief, or at least I thought I did, in terms of this is what's important. But if you go back and you look at my episodes up until now, I think I have one with a sports psychologist. And even that, it's like focused on like performance. And other than that, you know, it's coaches talking about and even executives or I had a camp director. And it is very focused on the hard skills. Like I don't, I wasn't intentional about that, but that's kind of where the focus went. And this is the first episode i'm recording since all that and and it didn't hit me till right now that this is what we've chosen to talk about right like this was organic and and almost suggested by a good friend of ours and so um that right there is is we are 
we are shifting our conversations in, in the direction they need to go, I think, optimistically for the better. I do want to give you space. I, I have I have kind of two more questions I will ask. Um, I said to Dave before you hopped on, John, my goal is never to take your two hours. It's to give you some free time back. I like it because these last two questions can be longer answers. So the one of them is very simple. It's simply, is there anything you all wanted me to ask, wanted to share that I haven't. I, I think I think the last the last point um, that, that 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 came to mind when you were just kind of saying, "Hey, are there other things?" I, I felt like maybe at some point in this conversation, you know, we could start reporting some of the statistics. I mean, Dave and I both sit in this space, and the statistics seem really challenging, and they can seem really dark. Um, and I think that that's some of the like, if you don't believe that the future is going to be bright, you believe it's going to be dark. And I think that there's got to be permission when we're talking about like stigma in our world, like around like right and wrong or around mental health versus mental illness and, and some of the stigma that we need to kind of get away from. I think that like, Dave, your point around being scared, like I embrace that with you and and don't say that I'm proceeding blindly, but I think that like, it's a matter of proceeding in the dark and seeing the light. It's like recognizing that when we walk at night, we see the moon, we see the stars. Uh, there's still light in our world, even if it feels dark. And, and if we're afraid of the things around us that are not something that we can fully see clearly, that, 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 that shouldn't discourage us from taking the next step towards something that we believe in. Uh, that's really well said, John. That's uh, that's, and I think, you know, additionally, it's just like if if you're sitting there thinking, you know, I'm supposed to have some purpose to my life, or like, what's my goal? Like, what am I doing? I feel lost. I think I would encourage people to to just look at the world and be like, where, like, what matters to you? Where do you want to make things better? And and the important thing is to understand that, like, you don't have to fix the problem, right? John, you, you said this really well in the past, right? Like, I, I think one of the problems is that we we get in this situation where we're like, well, every problem needs to be fixed, right? It's not good. Things aren't going to be great until everything is solved. And that's just not reasonable and it's not necessary. And in fact, I think it's it inhibits us because then it, it's, it stops us from taking action because we're overwhelmed with the burden of what's in front of us. And instead... You know, I think the shift in mindset can be like just when when you recognize that like things get better through positive relationships and role modeling and connection, you can do that all over the place, right? You don't have to go out there and solve the whole problem. You can just go down the street and have a really nice conversation and make somebody smile and make their day better or, or you know, find these small places where you can and want to like make small differences and know that like that is meaningful. Yeah, I just I just think sometimes we we submit to kind of overwhelm because we look at the mountain and just say okay, forget it like it can't be done. Um and right and there are there are proverbs from thousands and thousands of years ago that just tell you like you don't got to do that. You know? Um, just start start where you're at and and find what matters to you and 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 try to make things just a little bit better. 
Yeah, I think I think Dave, if we're in a spot, the 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 the, the quote that I I try to reiterate over and over again is like, if we're in a spot where we're constantly trying to fix, conquer, and resolve all the problems of the world, then yes, they're going to be overbearing. But if we can sit here and hold here and love each other in the midst of some of that, like that's not just like singing kumbaya and thinking that like we're bouncing from a puffy cloud to a butterfly to whatever it may be. It's a no, like we actually just can hold space. We can hear each other. We can care for things around us like that. That's going to be beneficial, more more beneficial than just trying to fix, conquer and resolve it. So um, I think that's a piece. Something else that you just said made me think through like with regards to um, an, another piece like that is really fascinating is uh, in, in and around that area of resilience, I often ask young people how often they've heard that word mentioned to them and this they just kind of say a lot you know like is it like five times ten times more than that and and it's just like more right like it's more like we just have been told we're resilient need to be resilient have been resilient whatever that may be and like in trying to understand the commonality and the definition around that i mean the work that i had done with the hope research center um and, and with camp hope america really was looking at how kids weren't just focused on enduring and bouncing back. Like never before have we looked at an entire generation, Generation Z and now Generation Alpha, just saying, continue to endure the pain. You're really you're really good at enduring pain versus, no, actually, let's figure out the path forward together um, so that we can move in the direction of something that you believe in or that I believe in, because that's going to help unlock like the power and potential that we have to participate in creating a, a little bit of a brighter world. Right. Um, and so I think we have to be really careful and cautious, you know, Dave, when we're sitting in a spot and we're saying like, yes, like the mountain is so huge. And so we just have to endure the pain to get over it because we've endured a lot of pain. No, it's not about enduring more pain. It's, it's, it's a matter of like saying, yes, this is something I care about which coming back to the point of connection around commonality and common interests, like if we can if we can connect with somebody else in that regard, that's actually going to help me move forward because then that's identifying to me that like I am with somebody else in this journey and somebody else is with me. Right, which improves your well-being, which then improves the quality of your ability to improve other people's well-being because you are more well and now you go and you spread that as you interact in the world around you. Um, I'd actually be interested in going there a little bit, Bobby, if you don't mind, is, is like John and I have been working a lot in the last year or so on kind of um, this, sh this shift, I guess, if you call it that, from the term mental health to the term well well-being. And I think that it's a it's really potentially powerful for people who work with kids because, right, we know from the statistics and also just anecdotally that like everybody who works with kids is like kids are really struggling. Uh, things have gotten worse these past couple of years. How do I help? And for a lot of people, when as soon as you say mental health, they're like, no, thank you. Like, that is not what I do. I'm not interested in going there. Um, it's scary. There's liability, all of that stuff. Um, and yet, if you work with kids, you're working with mental health, period. Like, the only way to not work with mental health at all um, is to is to find a job, you know, where you're not really working people that much. Um, and so like trying to find ways for people who do not have mental health trainings or educations or backgrounds 
to at least feel like there's something that they can hold on to that's going to support the people they're working with to kind of do better. Yeah. Um, and so some of this stuff that we've been working on is kind of looking at shifting from mental health into this, this idea of well-being, which, you know, I think is more holistic and it kind of, it acknowledges that actually, even when we say mental health and we think of like psychologically, how are we doing so much of that actually has to do with things that are not mental, um, things, you know, elements that are physical, um, elements that are outside of who we are, right. It's not just in our mind. It's, it's in the world around us. It's in our relationships. It's even in the amount of sleep we get and the, the type of food we eat. And these things all affect our well-being. Um, and, uh, and how do we kind of empower people to support the well-being of not just themselves, but then the, the youth they work with, because you can do that without, you know, without a psychology degree and, and without being a therapist. Yeah. I, I love it because I actually, I mean, I tripped over the word mental health like five minutes ago when I was, when we were, we were, I forget what I was saying, but it felt like the the only word that came to my brain, but it didn't feel perfectly right. But I just, you know, and so I think that's, so when you say shift from mental health to well-being, I want to help make sure I understand it. Do the two, is it just a shift in word? Do the two have the same meaning to you or, or is it two different meanings? Yeah, I, I think I think first you you have to acknowledge that that the connotation when we're looking at a greater shift and adjustment from some of the stigma that's connected, the stigma that's connected around mental health is because of mental illness. And even in that, when you dive back further into like mental illness, I want to come back to the 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 piece of that doesn't define who somebody is because they're trying to work through things where they potentially had something that's been a challenge that's created an illness. Like because I'm ill and I'm and, and I'm sick with a cold, that doesn't mean that I'm not well as a person, right? But like that creeps in. And so there's this stigma of mental illness that's connected to mental health, which is where the shift in language is to well-being. And that shift in language to well-being and what we're calling it, uh, I think is it's kind of like speaking and breathing that into existence, right? Because if we, if we are acknowledging that we need to think more upstream, if we're acknowledging the ways in which we, we need to be um, looking at something from a strengths-based standpoint, then well-being is the direction to go, not mental health, which has a connection to mental illness, which has a connection to something being wrong with somebody. Mm -hmm. We've got to focus and, and flip the coin uh, and say, actually, there's another side to this. And that other side is when we're going to highlight the things that are contributing to making us well. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, kind of like our, our proprioception, our exteroception, interoception, like where do we see our sense of being? Um, what is the presence that we hold in connection to um, other physical objects, but also like what is our sense of the things that we're hearing, we're seeing, we're smelling, and how do we navigate you know, with that piece to recognize that all of it is influencing whether or not I believe that I am well. Um, and I define that somebody else isn't defining that for me. And I think that's a part of like, how are we like from a being standpoint, like resting in a space and place and time saying, this is who I will be mm. in the present. And as I move into the future, and I see this as me, um, you can't define that for me. 
I love that in a world. aspect of it. That speaks to what we said at the beginning of this when I asked Dave, how do you define safety, right? And it was, does the child feel safe? And that's the child, the anybody, person, right? Defining their own well-being, am I well? And it's not up to anybody to tell someone they're well if they don't feel it or, or vice versa. Let me yeah. ask you, I... I if this doesn't come across right, I'll just cut it because I, I haven't wrapped my brain around how I want to ask this, but you've said a few times something doesn't define someone, right? A bad experience doesn't define you. You're not defined by your worst experience. What does define us? What or is that even the right question? Yeah, I I, I think I go back to when we start the process of this. It, it's, it's just like stories, right? Like I think I, I come back to like the stories and lived experiences that are happening in the world around me and how that's informing or has informed kind of the journey uh, along the way to this point. Yeah. And so I, I look at the question around like, well, what's defining us? Like I go to a conversation with, you know, one of my daughters uh, recently, my 11 year old, um, trying to, trying to process some complex things that are happening in and around, you know, us and her world or my world or, like what what the thoughts are in, in some of those pieces. And and I think Dave, you're right. Choices, choices come into play. But for my daughter, we sat down and she was you know describing an exchange that she had had in a, in a class with a teacher who was describing something in a book with regards to um, something that was seemed to be a stress point, right? And this connotation, this like understanding that she had of what the teacher was doing immediately put it into a negative light for her and then she draw this she drew this point of connection to herself right and so i think i i start to share the story of like a, a a child sitting in a classroom reflecting on a a story in a book and a character within that book and how all of a sudden that that character and what that character is going through as we all find that point of connection along the way when we're thinking about what defines us for my daughter, she had this choice. Do I believe what others are saying about me, what I have, or what I do to be to be the things that define me? Or do I believe that like where I'm at in this process? She said, like today, where I'm at and what I'm trying to figure out, that's a part of what defines me. Like I think our ability to identify where we sit on the journey, on the trail of life, the path of life, and recognizing that we have steps that we're needing to take and that the ones in the past have informed the ones that we will take in the future. I think those are the pieces that define us, mm-hmm. not what has occurred or what someone has said or what we have along the way. We yeah. believe those things do, but they don't. The last question I like to ask at every podcast is, do you have, and I'm going to give a different version of it. So it's usually, do you have a 50 cups of coffee story? And what I mean by that is, you know, I've had people share a story where they grabbed coffee with somebody and it led to them getting a job in the NBA, or they grabbed coffee with someone and 12 years later, that person called them to give them a job. Like as much as I try to move away from jobs and climbing the ladder, that's where the conversations go. And I'm fine with it because part of this is also trying to motivate and encourage people to connect and to reach out, knowing that it's difficult, it's hard, it's uncomfortable. What I'd like to ask for you guys if, if you have it, if you're open to it, maybe you don't have it. And that's the end of that. But 
Do you have a 50 cups of coffee story with a kid where you had a conversation? It could be one of your own kids, but a conversation with a kid that impacted you. So it was a conversation that um, maybe changed the way you view things or forced you to look inward and self-reflect or um, just made an impact on you. And as a way to kind of encourage people to think more broadly about this 50 cups of coffee challenge. Like I, I say it in the Ted talk of like, you can do this with children yet. I don't know if I've had anyone tell me a story of that. So I, was, I figured I'd put it on you and I've purposely talked this long to give you a minute to think too, uh, or, or you can have more time to think too, if you want, but if you have it, whenever you're ready. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do actually. Um, this was from back in my social work days. So I was um, I was working uh, at an alternative school in the Oakley Unified School District that was kind of a magnet for kids that had been um, kind of behaviorally problematic or truant from the other schools. And the idea was, well, if we bring all these kids together from the other schools, it'll help the other schools kind of function better. And then we can provide more supports for them at this school. So they're actually for 60, we were a sixth, seventh and eighth grade school. And for 60 kids, we had three social workers, which was a really impressive um, uh, percentage. But I had a boy there that I was working with for um, over a year. And he, he just would not really open up through our sessions. Um, I would see him every week and we would play Uno or play different games, play basketball. And I was just trying to kind of break through and get him to open up and talk about, um, what was going on in his life. And, uh, and he just wasn't doing it. And I was, I had a clinical supervisor at the time. So I would ask for like advice and they were just kind of like, look, just, just keep being there. Like, don't, you don't need to push it. Just, just be there. Uh, and we got to the. Um, and at one point I went to his home and met with his mom who was struggling with food insecurity and helped her, um, hook up with the food bank so that she could, um, have more food for the household and talk to her about some of the other things that were going on in her life. Um, and, uh, and that was maybe, I don't know, a month before the end of the school year. And we got to the end of the school year and we got up uh to just say goodbye and he gave me this hug and i hugged him back and he wouldn't let go of me and you know you kind of have your you know especially with like you know your teenage boys like you're gonna kind of hug and kind of like let them lead as to how like comfortable they are and when they want to stop hugging you and he just he wouldn't let go of me and and i was just floored by the, he was, he was, I think he was tearing up and crying. And I was just like, but we never, we never like really even talked about the stuff that was bothering you. Um, and, you know, and he said that, you know, the moment that, um, that I knew that you were like for real was when you came to my house and you, and you, you helped my mom. Um, and that's when like, I knew that, that you weren't just like here cause it was your job or, or, or whatever. And, um, and that just, you know, when I, when I'm training staff at camp and we're learning all these techniques about how to work with kids, one of the things I always try to remember to get through is like, you may never see 
the benefits of the work that you do. And in fact, you probably won't, right? We do this work with kids without often ever truly knowing the effect that we have on them. And you have to be okay with that. You can't do this work because, you know, at the end of the day, these kids are going to come up and tell you how much you mean to them because they probably don't even know yet. Right. Um, But that's a part of working with kids is, is, is giving and, and providing what you can and, and trusting that, that it had a positive effect. And this was one of the few times when I actually got that, um, I actually got that back and I got to see that directly. And that was, uh, that was huge for me. It really made an impact. Thanks for sharing that, Dave. Uh, I think I, I, I've, I've heard you share before, and, and I love the way in which you frame that for your staff, right? Like that, that you don't necessarily get to see the the fruit um, that comes from the seeds that we plant in the lives of others. Um, and I think any time that we have the ability to like stop and acknowledge that um, for somebody else, ourselves, or where somebody does it for us, I, mean, I think those are more significant marker moments than, you know, we, we probably really give ourselves credit for. Um, and so uh, I think, I think, I think one of those stories for me uh, is thinking about a young man who I've navigated a number of years of life with um, kind of through his, his teenage years and um, had a, had a chance to interact with him and engage with him in the midst of uh, some really challenging moments of uh, parts of the journey that that he was that he was working through, and I think there's a lot of success stories that we like to um, to kind of like hang our hat on potentially in certain areas of the work where someone achieves something that seems to be beyond what maybe we had expected of them, and uh, and this this young man um, came came over from from Mexico. Um, in, in the midst of some challenging circumstances in his family's life and subsequently therefore in his. And uh, in, in the midst of that, that journey, there was behavior that came from his father uh, that was not positive towards, towards he or his siblings or, or his mother um, in that regard. And uh, I think what, what started to unfold was this belief, is this behavior the thing that I have to model? Um, Am I going to be defined by the circumstances around me or will I be in a spot where the choices that I'm making are going to help to shape who I'm becoming? And uh, I just felt felt really privileged and honored to be in a spot with him operating in activities and experiences that otherwise might not have been there if it weren't for the program that he was connected to. And uh, found myself uh, in a spot where I uh, was trying to figure out with, with him, um, you know, where and how he would continue to find hope in the world around him that he believes in. And uh, he, um, at the age of 17, became, became a dad. Um, and uh, I think in the midst of his, his lived experience, and as I was navigating life with him, I think his fear was that I would see poorly upon him for some decisions or choices that had been made. And uh, ultimately, he was saying, um, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a bracelet of appreciation, of gratitude um, that, that he's wearing as well. Uh, and for those that are that are tuning in, you can't see that bracelet, but it's one that reminds me of him on a regular basis, um, that I'm grateful for individuals who will see me beyond the things that I believe to find me because uh, he's showing up 
uh, as a dad uh, and as a as a as a partner in a relationship with somebody when that's not what was modeled for him that's not what was displayed for him and he's taking the circumstances that seem to be really challenging and he's saying i have hope i have hope because someone else has believed in me um and that i'm not defined by uh, the things that that others may say are are holding me back i'm going to be defined by the fact that i i'm going to rewrite a, a new story i'm going to I'm going to break a cycle um, and I'm going to do that proactively um, in the best way that I possibly can. And that doesn't look like it means the story is going to be perfect or a fairy tale, uh, but it means that he's finding a way to succeed uh, from where he sits and with what he has because of what's been given to him. It's beautiful. Thank, thank you both. That's all I got for you in all honesty. I mean, this has been um, as good, better, than I could have ever anticipated for uh, having having these conversations. I want to give a, a shout out and a thank you to Bob Ditter for connecting us. Uh, I'm going to email him as soon as I get off, <laughs> just to just to thank him uh, personally. But um, you know, as far as we've talked about a lot, you and I, all of us hold um, positions, be it camp or coaching or as dads. Um, I have a, a three month old, so I get like emotional saying as dads, I'm still wrapping my brain around that. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, in all honesty, as I think about the simple idea of this podcast was to share how folks can connect better and, and also encourage them to do it. I was getting a lot of, uh, I had an opportunity to do a Ted talk. And after that, I got a lot of questions from people that was like, what do you talk about? when you meet with people and, and why do you do it? Cause it makes me nervous or uncomfortable. So what is my motivator to do it? And I decided to teach by modeling, which you've talked about on this episode of like, I'm just going to record my conversations. Like I selfishly just want to have this conversation with you guys. And, uh, and what gets me to do it is recording it and sharing it with others. So my hope is that people uh, listen and take that away from it. And the last two stories that you've shared are the perfect um, way to encapsulate everything we've said of just the, the power of connecting with people and in our spaces uniquely and most people listening, connecting with youth. Um, so don't, don't hop off. I'll cut it, but, and then we'll and just kind of wrap up and chat, but I just want to, before we do cut it, just say, thank you. Thank you for making time and space to do this. Thank you, Bobby, for the opportunity and uh, for the work that you're doing and uh, continue to stay the course uh, for sure, because it's making a difference, I believe, wholeheartedly in the way that others are showing up in the conversations themselves because of how you're modeling that. So thank, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate you having us. This was a, a real pleasure. Thank you to Dave and John for giving me a reason to fire back up the podcast for just a couple episodes. I hope you agree it was well worth it. If you haven't already, go back and listen to episode 28 with Dave Skolnick. It is a wonderful compliment to this episode and a great setup for next week's episode. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe wherever you are listening and give us a rating and review. I read each review we get and that is how we grow this show. If you are interested in learning more about our camp, check out TimberlickWest.com. 
50 Cups of Coffee with Bobby Audley is a production of BobbyAudley.com. Head on over there to watch the 50 Cups of Coffee TEDx Talk, listen to past episodes of the show, and learn how I could help your camp, team, or organization. Our theme music and art is by Matisse Soy. Until next time, stay connected.